Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and results in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. Good morning, Redeemer. You know, last time I preached, I forgot to do something very important, and I incurred the wrath of all of the third graders and under, and some of their parents last time. So I put it in my sermon notes, dismiss the kids, (laughs) dismiss all children, third grade and under, to the children's groups, and the webs are back there to receive you and take you to your class. So mission accomplished, there they go. We are continuing our series in Colossians uh, about Christ being enough, and today we're going to look at a passage that I I love because I feel like it has everything in it. If you think about the mission of Redeemer to share, shape, and send, it's all right here in this passage. So what I'd like us to do is either look up here on the screen behind me or on your mobile device or in your Bible, turn to Colossians 1 verse 24 through 27. We'll read that and then we'll get into the teaching of God's Word. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae and he says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is God's word. When I was a a kid, uh, I know this is hard for some of you to believe, but I misbehaved in the car sometimes. I had uh, one brother and two sisters, and we'd be piled into our Plymouth Fury 3. Some of you are way too young to even remember what that is. But we'd get into arguments and fights in the back back seat, and one of the tools that my mom would sometimes use is this. Kids, Jesus is in the car with you right now. And he knows how you're behaving and how you're acting. And it, I'll be, admit to you, as it, even though she was right, in essence she was right. You know, Jesus is God and he's omnipresent. But it kind of freaked me out a little bit. <laughs> you know, I think about, okay, so where, where is he in the car? And if I reach out, am I going to touch him? And what's funny about that is as a child, although there was a truth that was revealed to me, fully understand it, and I'll be honest with you, I still don't fully understand God's omnipresence. There's some of it that is still a mystery, but God has revealed enough in Scripture and uh, through His Word for me to be comfortable with His omnipresence. Uh, You think about um, Paul talking to the Colossian church, and he, he says that the risen Christ dwells in them and in all believers for that matter. So it's no longer a stretch for me, and it doesn't freak me out because I have a more mature perspective and an understanding that I once didn't have, and now I accept it by faith. So when we come to this passage of Scripture, Paul uses the word mystery, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. And for those of you that take notes, there's going to be six main points to my message Now, I know around here we only usually have two or three points, so please don't be concerned. I'm going to end on time. I'm not going to take double the time because I've got six points, Um, but we'll move fairly quickly through the first few. But before we do that, just to give you a little context here, in the previous passage, the Apostle Paul has just mentioned the reconciliation and the hope held out in the gospel message and he's affirmed his role as a servant of the gospel. So you probably heard that last week. I was out on vacation, and I didn't hear that. But um, he affirms 
his role as a servant of the gospel. And now in this passage, Paul's going to help the believers in Colossae better understand his role as a servant of the church. He talks about the commission God gave him, and we'll look a little bit more at that later. But he, he talks also about the trials and triumphs that accompany that commission. Did you know that? It's a package deal. When God gave Paul a commission to be his emissary to preach the gospel, it came with triumphs and it came with trials. He also speaks about the present rewards of Christian service and he reminds the Colossian church of the future hope they possess because Christ dwells in them now. So if you think about it, it is all here. Share, shape, send. Redeemer's mission. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to take one step back. And the first point that I have is this. God has many secrets. God has many secrets. In Deuteronomy 29:29, the Bible says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow the words of this law. So the first thing it affirms is that God has secrets, and they belong to him and him alone. There's also something revealed that some of those secrets God chooses to reveal to us and to our children and that they belong to us, and there's a purpose for those. We're supposed to share some of those secrets that he reveals to us. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but God has decided not to share all of his secrets with us. He's decided that that's just not in our best interest. Many of his secrets he chooses in his infinite wisdom to keep to himself. Now, in my own life, this sometimes causes frustration. I'll be honest. You know, I wish I knew more about God's secrets. There are a lot of things I just don't know. Let me give you an example. Eternity past. What is that about? I mean, the Bible talks about God creating darkness and light, but that God in the beginning was God. And so you think about what was that like for God in eternity past any of the worlds that he created, any of the constellations, what would is it, was it like for God to just exist? I'll tell you, that is a secret that I don't know, and I don't think you know it either. What about the Trinity? Did you know the Bible never actually mentions the word Trinity? But yet, through the glimpses that he gives us through the revealed scripture, we see that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed, will always exist as equal yet distinct persons in one God. And you can use all kinds of illustrations that every one of them breaks down. Why? Because some of it is a secret. There are things that only God knows. Another thing is election. We know that the Bible talks about election, but we know that for hundreds and hundreds of years, great theologians who are very learned still argue about what that looks like. So friends, there are just some things that God keeps in the vault. And I don't know if you are, any of you are Seinfeld fans in here, but you know Jerry uh, was talking about there being things in the vault, and when he would tell George something, George would say it's in the vault, and then invariably George would spill the beans to somebody. But in God's economy, God keeps secrets. When they're in the vault, they stay in the vault. Jesus even affirmed that God keeps some secrets from us. When his disciples asked him about his second coming that he had been preaching to them about, Jesus responded in Matthew 24, 36, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So there are secrets that are in God's vault that nobody knows but he himself. And friends, I want to tell you, not knowing is not meant to frustrate us. God doesn't do that to frustrate us. If you think about it, it's meant to evoke worship and to increase our faith. 
Some knowledge that God possesses is too high and too wonderful for us to comprehend with a finite understanding and limitations that we have. And maybe someday when we're in heaven with him, God will reveal much of what is now hidden. But in the meantime, let's do something as a church family. Let's join the Apostle Paul and King David in worshiping God Worshiping the God who keeps his secrets. In Romans eleven thirty three and 34, Paul exclaims, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And then David exclaimed, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I could count them, they are more than the sand. So friends, we have to understand, first of all, that God keeps secrets. And instead of letting it be a thing that frustrates us, you know, things we don't understand, things that we wish God would reveal to us, there comes a point where we humble ourselves and we just say, God, I don't understand but I worship you. Oh, the depth and riches of your knowledge. David, in thinking about being formed in his mother's womb and the the beauty of creating new life, he said, God, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. So friends, let me tell you this. If God keeps some secrets and some that we may never, ever know, There has to come a point in our life where we worship him for that, where we see it as an attribute that is admirable and worthy of our praise. So that's point number one, God keeps some secrets. And then the second point is God shares some of his secrets with us. Aren't you glad? Wow. Uh, Thankfully, there are some secrets that God has chosen to reveal to us through self-revelation in his own time and in various ways. I don't have time to get into the different types of revelation. Very briefly, there's general revelation that God reveals through creation, through the law of God that he's put in our hearts that our consciences respond to. And then there's special revelation, which as the Holy Spirit moved people, they wrote the words of Scripture, and then the culmination of revelation in His Son, Jesus Christ. But we get glimpses of things that God reveals to us. Let me give you an example. In Revelation 13:8, the Bible reveals that Jesus was the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world, or in some versions, the foundation of of the world. In 1 Peter 1, the Apostle Peter tells us that we see Christ as chosen before the creation of the world and that God chose to reveal him in these last times for our sake. So these are pieces that we can see and begin to understand that God reveals some things to us. Let me kind of walk us through history, some of the small glimpses and clues into a rich mystery that he finally revealed in its fullness when he sent his son Jesus. In as early as Genesis 3, God does something. Adam and Eve take a bite of the fruit, they rebel against God, and what does God do? As he's judging them, they are ashamed. They're ashamed of their nakedness before God. They're ashamed of their sin. What does God do? He takes an innocent animal. He sheds its blood. He takes its skins and he clothes their nakedness so that they could stand before him. Friends, that is a glimpse of something that would come later. Abel's better sacrifice. Early on in in Genesis, Abel and Cain both know that they're supposed to worship God. Cain brings some of the crops that are nice and everything, but Abel understands something. Without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin, so what does he do? He takes an innocent lamb from his flock. He sacrifices that to God. How did he know to do that? God revealed it to him. And by that, Jesus said that the people of Jerusalem were guilty of killing all the prophets, and he he used Abel as the first part of the bookend 
And he said, from Abel to Zechariah. So Jesus called Abel a prophet. Why? Because he revealed the plan of redemption by the better sacrifice. Fast forward a little bit. Um, Abraham, God in his sovereignty, asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Abraham had more faith than I could ever muster because he took his son and he took the wood and he goes up to the mountain and he is prepared to sacrifice his son. And when Isaac says, Dad, what is going on here? What does Abraham say? My son, God himself will provide a lamb or a ram for the sacrifice. And as soon as Abraham went to plunge that knife into his son, the angel stopped him, and he looked over, and there's a ram caught in a thicket, a substitutionary sacrifice for Isaac. As we keep going through Scripture, we see the Passover lamb as the children of Israel are about to leave the land of Egypt. God tells them, sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost of your house. And when you think about it, the head and the sides and that blood would run down and, and it's like in the shape of a cross. And he said, when the angel of death comes through, I will pass over you. So this idea of being passed over because of a sacrifice, innocent blood being shed for us. And then the idea of the scapegoat. This is a beautiful picture. Again, a glimpse that God is giving us of a story that is ever unfolding that culminates in something we know. So, in the Old Testament, in the sacrificial system, one day a year they would take a goat and they would bring that goat before the, the high priest and that priest would lay his hands on that goat and he would pronounce the sins of all the people on that goat, a scapegoat. And then that goat would be sent out into the wilderness apart from the people by itself. What is God saying here? God it continues to reveal. And then the prophecies in Isaiah announcing the virgin birth of Christ, where Christ would be with us. And then on in Isaiah 53, where we're we're introduced to this man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief, who bears our iniquity and carries our sorrows and pays for our transgressions. And then you have when Mary and Joseph present Jesus in the temple, and there's these two old people there, Anna and Simeon. Simeon sees the young child, Jesus, and he begins to worship God, and he says, Now, Lord, your servant can go in peace. Why? Because my eyes have seen your salvation. A light for the generations and for the Gentiles, I've seen him. And then Anna, the prophetess, is there. She spent their time there day and night waiting for the redemption of the Israel. And when Jesus and Mary and Joseph walk in, what does she do? Israel, if you are looking for redemption, here he is. And then, of course, John the Baptist, what is his message? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Microphone, there it goes. There is an ever unfolding story of redemption. And it culminates when God sends forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Jesus came into the world he, to live a perfect life, to die for our sins, to be buried in a borrowed tomb, to be raised from the dead, and ultimately to ascend to his throne in heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God. God chooses to reveal some things. Can you think of a better thing for God to reveal to his people than that. And as Deuteronomy 29 says, when he reveals it to us, it's ours to appropriate. It's ours. So, secondly, God shares some of his secrets with us. Aren't you glad? Praise God for that. Stanley, let me know if I need to take a microphone. Is it still working? Okay. Number three. Paul called God's secrets mysteries. Paul called God's secrets mysteries. We're going to see that in verse 26 and 27. Look what it says in our text. 
Let's back up to 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So Paul calls these secrets that God has, has shared with us mysteries. Now, I love a good mystery. Kimberly will tell you that. And this is a, a point of pride in me, I will confess. I delight in trying to find out who did it before they reveal all the clues. You know, so I can say, I told you, I knew that's who would do it. And I'm sure it's completely annoying to Kimberly. But what I, as much as I love that, what I really love is a mystery that keeps me strung along the whole way. And then they reveal it and I'm like, oh, how could I have missed that? What I think is a complete waste of time is unsolved mysteries. <laughs> if, if I give an hour of my life and then there's no more clue as to who really did it than when I started, that's a waste of time for me. I want to know the answer. And I've got good news for us. When Paul uses this term mysteries, it's actually a Greek word and, and it's pronounced mousterion. Mousterion. And what it means is a mystery, a secret of which initiation is necessary. It's not something that's unknowable. Rather, it is what can only be known through revelation because God chooses to reveal it. Okay? So, this mystery that Paul's talking about is not something for which there is no answer. Nobody has a clue. It is something that God has chosen to reveal to us. Paul uses this term mystery in other places. 1 Corinthians 15, I love this verse. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. And the idea of being caught up to be together with the Lord and raptured and, and receiving our glorified body, it's, he says, I show you a mystery. In Ephesians 3, 6, he talks about a mystery. In Ephesians 5, 32, when he talks about Christ and his church, and the way that a marriage between a man and a woman uh, is a picture of that, he goes, it's a mystery. So Paul uses this not for something that there's no answer or is unknowable, but for something that God chooses to reveal. So Paul called God's secrets mysteries in this passage. So number four, that's number three. Number four, one of God's greatest revealed mysteries is called the gospel the gospel. Gospel means good news. Let's look back at verse 3 of Colossians 1. We're going to look at 3 through 8 and a few other verses. Paul says to the Colossian church, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learn it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on, behalf, on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So we see here that the gospel, <clears throat> from these verses, we see that the gospel is a true message. This isn't some cleverly invented fable. It's not some lie that the apostles are trying to, to perpetuate on the church. It is a true message. It's a message that has come to us and a message that continues to bear fruit and grow throughout the whole world. How do I know that? You're here. Somebody told you the message. There was some point in your life where you said, I believe, and you received it and you appropriated that message. In verse 13 and 14, we see that this true message, this gospel, first of all, is a rescue mission. It says that Christ came to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of light. 
That's what happened when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The rescue mission was accomplished in your life. In verse 14, he calls it redemption, buying something back. And so we see that the true message is a rescue mission. It's redemption. And then in verse 20 through 22, let's read that together. Verse 20 through 22. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Friends, that's the story that God began to reveal from the first animal that he killed to clothe Adam and Eve's nakedness. Christ's physical body broken for you, his blood shed for you, is what achieved your reconciliation. And now there is no more accusation, no more blamelessness, no more blame. You are blameless in his sight because the gospel that message has reconciled you to him because you understand what Christ did on your behalf. Also, Paul says in 123 that there is a hope held out in the gospel. Do you remember when you first heard the gospel? Do you remember what your heart felt like when you came under conviction? Because there came a realization in most of our lives when we came into a relationship with Christ, I am morally bankrupt. My sins have separated me from God. And when Jesus Christ, when we hear the gospel message, there is a hope that floods our soul. You mean I can be forgiven of my sins? You mean I can have a home in heaven with Christ? I can be made into a new person on the inside. Transformation in my life is possible. There's more than what I've been living. This is the hope that's held out for us in the gospel, and it's hold, held out to the whole world. This hope is living. This hope is eternal. So he talks about this greatest of mysteries um, being revealed in the gospel, that's point one, number four. One of the God's greatest revealed mysteries is called the gospel. Paul tells the Colossians in chapter one that the gospel has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Now, I don't know how all that's going to happen, but I know that one way that it happens is when you and I take that revealed truth of the gospel and we begin to share it with others. That's how it grows, that's how it flourishes, that's how it's proclaimed throughout the world. And that leads me to point number one, to share this great mystery with the world. God expects his people to share this great mystery with the world. Let's look at verse 25 together. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. You see, we have a commission. And it's something that we don't often think about, but it's something we cannot escape. When Jesus left this world, he said, I am sending you into the world. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize people. Teach them everything they need to know. And lo, I am with you always. That's an old King James thing. Behold, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's the great news that we have to announce to the world. This secret belongs to us, as Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, and we get to share it. We don't have to keep this secret in a vault. We get to announce it to the world that every person has the opportunity to understand the mystery of the gospel and an opportunity to have a personal relationship with God through His Son. Think about that for a moment. This is a mystery <clears throat> that will transform families, 
will transform communities, will transform nations. The gospel holds out the hope for the world, and we get to share it. So my question is, how are we doing with sharing that secret? Have we kept it in the vault, or are we openly sharing that? I love Paul's personal testimony when it comes to the idea of sharing this mystery. A couple of times in Scripture, uh, most of them are in Acts, and there's a few in, in other passages, but Paul talks about, in sharing his testimony, how it came about that he is being persecuted for the gospel. And in Acts chapter 9, the author Luke tells us, but the Lord said to Ananias, this man that God put into Paul's life, go, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Acts 22 It says, a man named Ananias came to see me. This is Paul's personal testimony. He was a devout observer of the law and highly highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles." Friends, that's Paul's personal testimony. So as he's writing this about this mystery that we have, he's also talking about commission that not only he's been given, but all believers have been given. Friends, you and I have been chosen and appointed. And and I believe the Holy Spirit would say, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Get up. Go. Go. I will send you. And so my question is, what does that do to your heart? When you hear that Paul had this commission that he literally gave his life for. If you'd have been a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul, and, you know, they they camped together, they stayed in hotels together, and, and Paul took off his shirt, you would have seen in his body the marks of Christ. And if you were to ask him, he would probably be really humble about it, but he may, he may say, oh, you know, that scar. Well, that's when I was in Philippi. Oh, that one, yeah, that, I was stoned and left for dead. Oh, yeah, that one, I was and had to claim my Roman citizenship. He bore in his body the marks of Christ. Why would he do that? Why would he go to such lengths? Because he was commissioned. He had a mystery, the gospel to take to a lost world. It's supposed to go. It's supposed to bear fruit. And so my question is, believer, I'm talking to myself too, to what lengths are we willing to go to take the message of Jesus Christ, that message of rescue, reconciliation, redemption, hope that's held out to people What links are we willing to go to to get that great secret out? And so that's my fifth point. The sixth point is this. This mystery, this gospel, unlocks glorious riches both in this life and the life to come. Remember I told you it was a package deal, the triumphs and the trials? This mystery that Paul talks about, look in verse 24 through 25. Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant 
by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles what? The glorious riches of this mystery. And what is, what is that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So under this sixth point, Paul is using his own testimony to show us that we have purpose and resilience in this life and we have hope for a future glory in the life to come by virtue of Christ dwelling in us. So here are the five points under number six. First of all, what what are those glorious riches? The first one, God's abiding presence, Christ in you. Let me ask you a question, believer, is that enough for you? God with us, Jesus Christ, not only seated on the throne, but by his spirit indwelling us. So that is a glorious riches that God has given us in Christ. We no longer are alone. We have Christ abiding and tabernacling in our lives and in our church community. We are not alone. Christ is in us. That truth propels us then when life gets hard, Like the Apostle Paul, he's sitting in a Roman prison. What does he say? I rejoice. I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. The the apostles, when they were flogged for sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ, what did they do when they went back to the church body? They rejoiced. That they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. So you see, because you have God's abiding presence, this glorious rich in, rich, these glorious riches in your life, it gives you an indestructible joy. It also gives you a patient endurance. He talks about bearing in his body Christ's afflictions, and that is actually a Greek word that means distress, pressure, or trouble. See, Christ's afflictions in some way continue. You remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus? Jesus said, Paul, why do you keep persecuting me? As Paul was persecuting the church, he was indeed persecuting Christ. And Christ told the early church, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also on account of me. And so, friends, when you and I have distress pressure, or trouble because of our relationship with Christ, we should count it as a glorious, one of his glorious riches on our behalf. Patient endurance. And then number four, rewarding service. I have a friend who's a, who founded a ministry here in Rockwall, and he signs all of his emails and all of his books with gratefully commissioned. I love that, gratefully commissioned your, your service in this church, your service to Christ, it ought to be rewarding. If you're doing it from the sense of glorious riches, this mystery, this abiding presence of Christ in you, your service ought to be rewarding because you ought to connect it with the commission that each one of us has been given. And so if it's not, then maybe there needs to be prayer there uh, to really explore, am I abiding in the presence of Christ that's abiding in me? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that kind of relationship, am I fully committed to Jesus Christ? And is my service seen as the least I can do because I'm gratefully commissioned? And then fifth, hope of future glory. There is a glory that will be revealed uh, in us One day when we stand with Jesus Christ, we'll experience that in all its fullness. But until then, it ought to motivate us and encourage us and inspire us that we can live today with all of its trials and tribulations and disappointments and things we don't understand with a hope of future glory. That ought to encourage the body of Christ. So, In conclusion, first of all, if you're a person in here that does not currently have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. I've got good news for you. God loved you so much. He loved this world so much that he gave his one and only son 
that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. No, 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 no. He sent his son into the world to rescue the world. And if, if you wonder, could God forgive my sins? Let me tell you, I think there's a lot of people in here that say, trust me, God forgave my sin. He will forgive your sin. Not only will he forgive your sin, he will usher in his presence in Jesus Christ who will never leave you, never forsake you, God with you. He will begin to empower you to change the way you live and your life will be transformed more and more into the image of his son. This is good news for you. It is available to you. You can take it. Me or one of our other elders in this church would be happy to share that mystery, that message of good news with you. So don't lose hope. Take advantage of the hope held out in the gospel. The second message is for our Redeemer family. Share, shape, send. We have a mystery, this gospel. We're supposed to share it. We're supposed to be shaped by this gospel like Paul was. It's supposed to transform us in ever-increasing glory as God does his work of redemption, reconciliation, and sanctification in our life. The gospel continues to bear fruit in the life of believers. It's not just to get you into the family of God. It continues to help you grow into the image of Christ. So, Christ in you, it's enough. It's enough. You have everything you need for life and godliness now. In Christ, you have everything you need to serve faithfully and joyfully, to endure patiently, to live hopefully as you carry out the commission God has given to each of us. So, Redeemer, share, shape, send. Christ in you is what motivates you. The gospel is what you have to share that is the most simple thing to share under the power of the Holy Spirit, and it transforms people's, communities, nations. Don't ever forget that. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for the writing of the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. Thank you that Paul shared his personal testimony and that he could say, I rejoice in what I'm suffering. I bear patiently with the afflictions that come with being a child of God. Thank you that he reminds us of not only the great message we have to share, but the future glory that we have to anticipate. Lord, would the people of Redeemer be inspired by this message today to, to pick up the mantle of that commission once again to begin to share with family and friends and neighbor with great boldness and great joy the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, help us. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I want to thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word, and if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church, but tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.